You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. Let's talk about media buying. Marketing 101, right? Wrong. Okay, so a lot of people in marketing do get their start in media buying, and it's been that way even as the media being bought has changed. But that doesn't mean media buying has stood still. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. Like everything else in marketing, how we use and analyze data plays a big role in media buying today. And the ability to target audiences with more granularity has changed things as well. We're not talking about buying 30 seconds during 60 minutes. Instead, we're trying to find a very specific person who isn't even a buyer, but rather part of a committee of people who, in the B2B world, are actually the buyer. What else is there to cover about media buying? How about programmatic? In the media itself, where newsletters and podcasts, neither of which are particularly cutting edge, are the current darlings. And there's 2020, of course, how it changed media buying and how it will leave its footprint going forward. In this episode, we're joined by Jason Gladue, president of Avani Media. Jason and I got a chance to speak at the ManFest, a half-day virtual event put on by Technology Advice. We're also joined by Technology Advice CEO Rob Bellenfont, who helps us take some questions from the audience during our session. Have a listen. Jason Gladue, welcome to B2B Nation and to the ManFest. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. Thanks, Mike. My name is Jason Gladue, president of Avani Media. We are a, a demand gen focused uh, advertising agency primarily helping with uh, media buying and uh, streamlining costs for, for vendors um, and clients alike on the, the content syndication and, uh, and advertising side. So when I think about media buying, my mind goes to the word programmatic, rightly or wrongly. And I think if we were having this conversation a few years back, we probably could have killed a whole half hour talking about programmatic. Don't think that's maybe quite the case anymore. But what, what's the state of programmatic? Sure. I mean, I, I think you're right. Um, programmatic certainly uh, is a is a big is still a big player in the, in the media buying space. Um, I think I saw a stat from eMarketer that um, they're expecting something like eighty seven and a half percent of digital ad spend going to programmatic. So massive. People are still pushing a lot of of budget towards it. Um, I think you're seeing a, at least for you know a lot of the customers we we work with, we're seeing a, a, a sort of a, a blended approach, right? Programmatic has a time and a place. It's it's very cost efficient. Um, it's easy to leverage a DSP and kind of get you know you can target to a degree. I think it's more prevalent in the B 2 C space, um, where targeting information is a little bit more robust and a little bit more available. Um, but when you think in the B 2 B space. Um, you start to run into some targeting limitations. And so we see a not a, not a wholesale shift to direct buying by any means, um, but you kind of see this nice balance uh, between running programmatic and, and running direct buying. Um, you know, programmatic really is optimized, cheap, efficient, get your message out there. Direct buying takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to figure out what publications have your audience, you know, it's not just IT security. You want, um, you know, you want folks that are 
really focused on a specific type of security and they've got to have a knock and they've got to have all these other things, you know, programmatics is not going to be able to tell you some of those, those facets. And so um, you really have to go to publishers and really understand their audience. Um, usually it's more premium inventory you're buying it takes longer because you're negotiating all the deals. Um, and you're not, you're not just running through, you know, an algorithm that's optimizing your, your spend. So you, you touched on this a little bit in that answer, but for the B2B media buyers who maybe were spending more on programmatic a year or two ago and have moved more budget to direct buys, what was programmatic not delivering? What were they not getting that influenced that decision? I think you just, you know, rightly or wrongly, I think programmatic has had issues in the past with bots um, and some inventory that is less desirable. And so while I think everybody can do a good job creating whitelists and, and sort of like, or um, sort of lists of sites that are approved to run on, creating enough is not, creating an, enough of that list is going to be really hard and not always scalable from, from a programmatic perspective. And so when you shift over to direct buying, you, you have a higher degree of confidence in knowing where your audience or where your ads are going to run and what audience they're reaching. You have a tendency to be um, either more contextually relevant, since that's how a lot of the, the premium publishers place ads, or you can also control, you don't have to worry about what YouTube video your ad is going to show up next to, or, or sort of that local news site, which are great, have great readership. You, you don't have to worry about what is that content going to be um, from a local news perspective. Right. So much content being published. It's not all, shall we say, New York Times standards out yeah. there. And so, um, you know, in a world where anyone can publish just about anything and everyone's trying to monetize it, it becomes a very legitimate concern. Yeah. And I think, again, I think both have their merits. I think you're seeing, um, you're seeing just different ways of, of monetizing advertising inventory today, right? I think, yes, programmatic, huge shift. Publishers historically um, move very quickly to program, programmatic because you could sell inventory while you're selling it cheaper. Um, you didn't have to retain as much staff, right? Because you, you didn't need direct sales teams. That also means you don't get the flexibility to sort of customize that offering. Um, so I think you're seeing now with the, I don't want to say the wholesale changing of, of the media landscape, but I think you're seeing, okay, maybe some consumption habits are changing with people at home. You know, you're seeing newsletters obviously being very popular. That isn't a new medium by any means, but it's certainly a, um, a revived medium, if anything, um, sort of, I think I saw something, oh, it's replacing the news and the newspaper. I don't know about that. You're seeing some of these premium publishers being able to offer just like flat rate sponsorships, which really on a newsletter perspective, hasn't been heard of. Um, most newsletter inventory is sold again, programmatically like through live intent, but that also has a ton of limitations to it as well. So I think pros and cons to both, um, but it's definitely a shifting. The direct buy is, is shifting and it's very valuable for some, for some brands to be in premium sites. Yeah. I, I think we can agree that newsletters are replacing the paper in newspapers. You mentioned pros and cons, direct buying and pro programmatic. So, and we talked about a little bit how easy programmatic could be if you knew your target audience and you mm -hmm. picked your sites and you paid your exchange and off you went uh, until the results came in. As you make the switch or devote more budget to direct buys, what are the things that you have to do just from a due diligence and a research perspective? 
there's more work involved. And so any yeah. thoughts and tips on how you go about, you've got big traditional publishers, you've got small niche publishers, they all have their pros and cons. How do you sort it all out? Yeah, I think it's, um, I would say it's an art and a science um, because I think you've got your big, big traditional publishers. And if we if we stay in the B2B space, which I, I think most folks are in, in, the, in kind of the, the, the bread and butter of the podcast is you've got your big, big folks, the IDGs, the CVSIs, the tech targets of the world, which are great. Um, we have to say nobody ever gets fired for, you know, for, for buying media or, or, or um, placing programs with those publishers because they're, they're big and they're known to produce good work. But at some point, you might find some niche audiences or niche publications that have the, the you know, just that right person, right? They only have the people you're looking for, but finding out where those people are, or those publications, it's really hard to find. Um, it takes a lot of effort to research and to make sure they're good traffic, make sure the, the, the content is high quality. Um, it, it's not easy, right? It's, it takes a lot of effort from a marketer or a team of marketers. Um, it's basically what we have a team doing at Avani who just scour um, for our customers. I think one was like, hey, we need you know, architects um, you know, in a very specific vertical. It's like, okay, like that, that takes a lot of effort to try to find these publications. And so I think that's definitely a con of the direct buy side is it takes a lot of effort um, and negotiation and, and just management because you don't have the ease of use of a programmatic, just like, hey, just click buy and it kind of all does its magic and, and it works for you. And you don't, you just see the reporting at the end. Uh, the direct buy definitely takes a lot more effort. Um, and I would say like the biggest, you know, tips on how to make direct buying easier is don't just settle for the first, you know, the, the first thing you get, the first publisher you stumble across. I, I would, it's, it's more about consuming that content yourself and try to figure out where would this person actually go? You know, is this a reputable site? Does it look right? Does it, does it feel right? Does that content uh, read naturally and kind of flow? Um, also reviewing media kits and trying to verify numbers if they have, if they can source third-party data. How often do marketers want to try a new publisher? Instead, instead of going with what you know works. And this is something we face in our business and personal lives. There are tried and true things and some people are averse to change yeah. in their personal or, or professional <laughs> lives. So, you know, I've got good results, but you also never know what you're missing out on. Yeah, and, and I think that's a very fair question. And it's something I talk about a lot with, with our customers is if, if it's working, fine. I always recommend setting aside some sort of budget um, to testing out new publishers. Generally, we call it a 75-25 split. It's not always that. Um, but not only is that a test budget for new publishers, it's a test budget for current publishers for new offerings, right? If you're if you're if a publisher comes on like, hey, we've got this great new video, you know, it's brand new, you're gonna get an introductory rate on it um, because it's brand new. We don't know how it's gonna work, we don't know the success. Um, that's what I recommend setting aside a test budget for. And I would say that more often than not, we have clients who find good success with testing out new or smaller, or um, they're not even smaller by some, by some standards, um, new publishers that they would have never stumbled across before. Um, they're like, wow, I, I didn't even know this person exists. I can't believe I've never heard of this publisher. Um, and all of a sudden the, the quality is, is really high. Um, and, and they like, and they like running with them. 
So you, you, when you talked about newsletters before, we kind of dove a little bit into media consumption. So media buying necessarily follows media consumption. You've got to go where the eyeballs are. And we hear a lot about all sorts of apps. We hear about augmented and virtual reality and all these experiences that are out there. But yet, valuations for things like newsletters, Morning Brew and its $75 million price tag um, with Insider, podcast valuations are up. Neither podcasts or newsletter are new by any stretch. What's going on there? <laughs> I guess is the question. Yeah, I mean, I, mean <laughs> I think it's like fashion. What's, what's old is new. <laughs> it's cyclical. Um, no, but, but, but in all seriousness, I think there's a ton, right. There's a, a bunch of new technology OTT. Um, you've got new, I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily tech driven, but TikTok, Snapchat, you've got some new channels that are being leveraged from a B2B perspective that maybe hadn't been before. But I think from a, a podcast and a newsletter perspective, we had some tech advances that made it more palatable. It made it easier to consume or publish um, or acquire audiences, whether that's Twitter, whether that's um, LinkedIn, even um, you have a, a, a an easier time building and getting your brand out or that brand for your, your newsletter or podcast for that matter. Plus the cost of entry is so low. So I think it was sort of a perfect storm for all of those. Again, I, I think that it's a, it's a more of a macro conversation about the, you know, democratization of news and, and, and content even that has allowed those two, you know, newsletters and podcasts particularly to, uh, to thrive. And, and I think because they're so prevalent, I, I think you're, you're reaching a point of, well, now I'm subscribed to 75 newsletters and I read them. I don't know. I, I, how many do I get to read a day? Like one. Um, so maybe it's, it's gone too far and it'll probably correct back at some point. But um, I, I think the ones that have capitalized and created that created a relationship with their audience as Morning Brew did, will will reap the benefits and um, be able to take in that that um, investment and probably pivot to uh, or transition to a, a bigger media company. I think your fashion analogy is a really good one because we are all drawn to flashy things. <laughs> and, and, and I think marketers know that they are guilty of this as, as much <laughs> as anyone. But sometimes the staying power of the flashy thing, um, because you can look back on fashion trends just in the past 25 years and see all sorts of things you wouldn't be caught dead wearing. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's a that's a great analogy. Let me ask you a question. Um, it's the question we've talked about, I think, so much this year. We just Marshall talked a lot about 2020 and what else can you say about 2020? What has changed about media buying in 2020? And then there's that other question, that other conversation we always have when we talk about 2020 is what change that's going to stick and what was stuff that is just sort of temporary. So how has your job basically changed yeah. this year and how will that change going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think the big things from from, from sort of our, our world that, that have changed are... Um, Obviously, some channels and tactics have to change um, just due to the sort of very quickly, uh, the, the quick change to remote working, right? I think you've all of a sudden seen, um, okay, phone conversations are a little bit harder to get because you don't have, you know, not every company is VoIP enabled. So phone calls don't just, you know, pipe through somebody's laptop, which is great for some companies, but but others uh, struggle with it. Um, obviously, the rise in email is great. You're seeing not only just Morning Bruce valuation, but we're seeing a lot of success from a, um, whether it's like a standalone 
you know, email or sort of email comment syndication. You're seeing a lot of success there driven by the fact that I think people are just more open to email. Like they're just in it a lot more. Um, it's a, just becoming a more standard way of consuming content. Not that it wasn't before. I think you're just seeing a, a more of a behavioral shift, even on the consumer side, um, which obviously consumer things tend to bleed into the business world at some point. And so I think those from a, a media perspective are, are, are changing um, as well as sort of you're, you're seeing brands and, and I don't know that this is a necessarily a, a media buying change. I think it's just more of a branding statement, which I don't think is shocking, but you're seeing brands take more of this empathetic sort of human approach, right? I think you went from personalization to individualization to now it's sort of like, hey, let's market like there's a human on the other side uh, of my message, which I think is great. I think it resonates really well. Um, it also just allows for a, a much better, if you think about marketing at some point, generates a, a, a lead or a, sets up a conversation for an SDR or an AE. And the more empathetic that conversation can be with more relevant data um, about the individual, about the, the company and the world that they live in, I think is a win for, for everybody. So I think I'm hopeful that that will stick, right? That the, the change or, or maybe the hyper-focus on empathy and and really understanding and wanting to understand the, the person on the other side as well as the organization and 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 you know it's not just one person buying most of what you know b2b marketers sell anymore it's a what i don't know how many people are on the buying committee now eight twelve um i, I think so. most of the estimates are double digits at this point so. oh gosh i mean it's, it's not surprising <laughs> with um with budgets sort of being you know i think i think more closely scrutinized as um as the world kind of uh turned on its head for a minute. Yeah, there's, there's probably been some really fun Zoom meetings with 12 person buying committees trying to figure out if they're gonna sign off on something. What are the tools that you use during your job that make you more productive, that help you do your job, the things you just can't function without? Sure, so um, I use a, a tool called Roam Research, R-O-A-M Research. Um, it's a it's a note-taking app, I guess, um, but it uh, has, it's like a bi-directional database. So it allows you to tag and find and sort information really quickly, as well as pull in um, notes from books from like your Kindle and, and all that stuff. So it makes it really easy to search. Um, like when you read multipliers or when you read any other book you're reading, you find um, some good information. So that's the one tool. I mean, obviously use all the other things out there from a, I'm a productivity nerd. So I like to try new tools all the time, but this one has stuck. Um, I've stuck with it for a bit. So that's the one I use. Thank you, Jason, for the conversation about media buying. And thanks to our attendees. And um, we hope to catch you, hear you on a future episode of B2B Nation. All right. That, that was great, guys. And yeah, we did have a few more questions submitted. So uh, first question we got is, do you think marketers are completely leaving programmatic behind for direct buys or does programmatic remain Part of the mix, perhaps with a smaller share of the pie for most marketers. What are you seeing? Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's going away. I think it's just maybe a shift in in sort of total allocation. Um, I, I think it's like with most things, it's an ROI calculation. So I think because you get high good reach uh, at a relatively low price, um, it just comes. You can look at your math and see if it makes sense. Um, there's just some pros and cons you have to weigh. Okay. 
And the next question we received is, how do you evaluate the success of a media buy? More specifically, how do you determine if the success or failure is due to the content or the offer or the buy itself? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good question. So, I, I think it, as with everything, it depends. Um, if we're talking about something that's more, you know, going to be judged, it, I would say look at the final KPI. Is, is that leads? Is it inquiries? Is it sort of um, pipeline? Because um, there's a lot of things, and we work with our clients on looking at the, that whole funnel and and really focusing on what is that next action after, um, you know, somebody clicks an ad. Where do they go? What does that look like? And then what is what is the follow up from sales or marketing look like to ensure that you have the most um, success? But I mean, I think if you're looking at um, just success from a from a straight from the buy side, um, I mean, click through rate and sort of um, that's usually the, the the metric that you could use to determine if you're getting traction from the offer. Um, and then obviously having multiple creatives to to test whether it's just the audience or or your offer or are you sort of do not have enough oh, brand awareness and is the message sort of in the wrong stage of the of that buyer's journey. Um, if you don't have good enough brand awareness, you're probably going to need to educate the market on who you are um, before they ever care about what you have to offer. And then the final thing is um, obviously looking at pipeline and, and some of those downstream metrics. So I think every marketer, um, I, I think marketing being tied to pipeline is, is where that uh, where the world's going today. And as a, as a content guy, I, I can weigh in on this one too, I think. The conversations we have with marketers around content, which is, is you know, at the very minimal, it's sort of the bait, right? Differentiation. Uh, the Jason, what did you say? 75 newsletters or something mm-hmm. you subscribe to, right? And you can't open them all. You can't read them all. And whether it comes in a newsletter or it comes in an email blast or a phone call, um, this B2B tech audience, I've seen numbers like 75 to 100 promotions they see every week. So your paper or your webcast can't be the same as the one that came a half hour ago. Um, there's 24 hours in a day. So um, how, how are you portraying yourself in your content, in the offer you're sending out that makes you stand out? Because if I've got 30 minutes and I've got six webcasts, I'm, I'm probably going to go with the one that came most recently just because it's the freshest in my mind. So something to think about. Perfect. Thank you. Um, okay. had a couple more questions here. Uh, so Jason, earlier you, you referenced the 75, 25% rule, I think, as far as splitting budgets between known existing publishers where, where uh, you have an existing relationship, you know, they produce good work and good results for, for your KPIs versus spending about 25% of your budget trying out new, new publishers, new strategies. Um, how often do you find that your customers are following that rule versus some other rule? And what, what, what else is typical other than the 75-25 rule? I would say we have, I would say it depends, right? I, I think that's sort of our philosophy. Now, we know that not every budget can withstand siphoning 25% off to try new things, um, whether that's sort of short-term pressure to, to meet short-term objectives um, that doesn't always lend itself nicely to a test. So to, to answer your question, I think we probably have maybe 30% doing that. Um, and obviously I think those new pe- those sort of new vendors or, or new tactics or new publishers, um, if they work, then they become part of that 75%. So the budgets don't always work out. That's sort of just our framework to make sure we talk about, hey, 
if we're just going with the tried and true eventual or the same people you've been buying their audience from for the last two years, at what point do you reach a saturation of their audience and you start seeing this dip in performance? And if you wait to, to, until you see that happen, it's going to be too late because then you're going to start losing pipeline and you're going to start looking for short-term fixes, which are usually really expensive and don't generally work as well as a more always on um, sort of program that you'd be trying new people and, and new audiences more frequently. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And then it looks like the last question we have today is what are the KPIs you guys are watching most closely either for your clients or what are the KPIs you see your clients watching most closely and what are the things you're looking at daily? For us and, and for, for some of our clients, I think we're, we're looking at um, a pipeline, right? I think, and, and sort of all of those sales metrics in the funnel. And now some of that's harder to get on a daily basis, um, but that's the, those are the, mo the metrics we look at most frequently and, and, and review most frequently. Um, I think if, because we look at those metrics in the funnel. So pipeline is sort of like, what are the conversion rates from whatever the client stages are? Um, we also want to look at, okay, what's the frequency in which leads are being put into that? Um, and so pacing um, and, and pacing takes, uh, has its own sort of nuances, depending on if you're sort of running with, with sort of more tried and true from a content syndication perspective where pacing is very normal, or if you're running with a, a publisher, um, or a more niche publisher where pacing is, is sort of um, less familiar. Um, and so those are, from an operational perspective, those are the things we look at to try to make sure that we're always feeding our clients' sales teams and marketing engines with leads at an appropriate cadence to, to make sure that we can generate pipeline and, and ultimately close one deals. Wonderful, thank you, thank you very much. Mike, Jason, that was awesome. Thank you guys for your time today. We really appreciate it. That was Jason Gladue, president of Avani Media. I am Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. This particular piece of media is B2B Nation, the podcast for B2B marketers by B2B marketers. Thanks to the 2020 Demand Fest crew for having us. Rob Bellenfont, Zach Jones, Lauren Eubanks, Marisol Guzman, and Amy Dunn. Thanks to Emily Whalen for taking the wheel and driving B2B Nation right into 2021. And to Pneumonics in the Guild, composer of our theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation.